Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Bonnie Mayer, and she is author of Perfectly Paired, The Love Affair Behind Silver Oak Cellars. Bonnie Mayer is the principal of Mayer Family Enterprises, an investment company dedicated to the regeneration of the planet and society. After selling Silver Oaks Cellars in 2001, Bonnie is now a partner in Mayer Family Cellars, a winery run by her son, Matt, and daughter-in-law, Karen. She is author of the memoir, Perfectly Paired, A Love Affair Behind the Silver Oaks Cellars. For more information, you can visit um, Bonnie's website, which is www.bonniemayer.com, and it's B-O-N-N-Y-M-E-Y-E-R.com. Okay, with that, I'd like to welcome Bonnie to the show. Good day, Bonnie. <laughs> Good day, Robert. Good to be here with you. Thank you. I'm um, happy to have you with me today, and, and uh, uh, love the memoir. It's, it's um Wonderful that you're you know, able to share those fun times and also those challenging times, which I think is kind of runs through everybody's life. But um, it's it's really a, a wonderful story. So let's let's start with the fact that Silver Oak um, is one of the most legendary wines um, that come out of Napa Valley, and the book is all about your passionate love affair with with Justin and how it fueled the growth of the winery. So, do you ever have any plans about creating a winery before you met Justin? Uh, That's an interesting question. I had plans to be a a, uh, psychologist. Uh, So that's what I was studying at uh, UC Davis. But I also happened to actually, after I met him, at the same time I met a professor, and I I learned a little bit about about winemaking from uh, Dr. Roma, who I then worked for for two or three years. And so, so I I had some context, but I still was planning to be a, a psychologist, not in the wine business. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny how some things just show up that were were not in the plan at all. So, uh, <laughs> That's right. That's life, right? <laughs> so, exactly. So now um, you met when you met Justin. Um, he was a monk, um, a, a Christian brother. So. Um, tell us a, a bit about about that meeting, and you know just uh, uh, the idea of um, a monk <laughs> becoming your your future husband <laughs> and uh, co-creator. That's a, an interesting start. Right, uh, it's not the usual start to a romance. So, I had only been at I was a freshman at UC Davis, and. I had only been in school for about a, a month, and I'd met a young man who invited me to a birthday party at this professor's house. And I was delighted. I thought, wow, a home-cooked meal after eating dorm food uh, for a while. That was 
very welcome. And my my friend Norm said, bring your guitar. Uh, the guy the guy who's having the birthday plays the banjo. So I followed instructions, brought my guitar. We walked into the the family room of their home. I kind of stashed my guitar quietly behind where I was going to be sitting for dinner. <laughs> and and then um then I helped um uh Helen set the table. I had my first wine. Uh Dr. Romo invited everyone to drink wine in this home. It doesn't matter that I had just turned 18. <laughs> and he was actually a world-famous viticulturist, which I didn't know at the time. All I knew is that he was huh? a very warm and welcoming family. We had dinner. Um, I brought up my guitar. And uh, right as the birthday cake arrived on the table and let everyone in, happy birthday. And Brother Justin's eyes just lit up. And just following that, he left the table, went and got his banjo, and we sat at the dining room table and played a few songs and had a marvelous time. And then we retired to the family room and played for the next two hours. And so it was it was a wonderful evening. Uh, I had a I had a great time, and I knew by the end of that evening that I had made a new friend in, in music. And you know, at that time, this was this was Robert. This was 1967. Oh, my oh, good, a couple folk years music, ago. <laughs> yeah, a couple of years ago. Yeah, and and Peter Paul and Mary and the Kingston Trio, who is still playing music. Actually, um, different people are now members of that that group, but. Uh, they were very popular. In fact, I think the Kingston Trio was the most popular group in the United States at, that year. And and both Justin and I knew all of those songs, and so it was easy for us to just keep playing uh, mm. one after another and singing in harmony. And and that's a that's a wonderful experience for a musician to just just start and be so in sync with with someone so brother justin and i had a a great beginning to our friendship which is what i thought it would end up being uh only you know just just a friendship yeah right yeah Yeah. so that's how it that's how it started wow okay so obviously you know you the the idea of a relationship wasn't right there with Brother Justin, so how, how did it uh, how did it evolve from from that then friendship what to happened? <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. There's more to the story. Yeah. <laughs> so that is the next. Um, let's see, in January after the the winter break, uh, Brother Justin called me up and asked if I wanted help playing music at church, and I had been playing music by myself on Sunday evenings and I, of course I said yes absolutely uh, wouldn't that would be great to have somebody else there and so that next Sunday he, he showed up we played some music we practiced very quickly we 
again, got to sync very easily, and we started together leading music for the rest of that year. And caught up in the enthusiasm, other people, musicians started joining us. So by the end of that year, we had, oh, I think we had four or five people in our little band. And and, and Justin and even made me a, a, a gut bucket, which is a, which is a, a laundry bucket uh, turned upside uh-huh. down, and you, and you fix a string uh, to the center of it and a long pole, and by pulling on the pole, uh, you can change. It's like it's like a one-string bass kind of, and, and uh-huh. uh, so so we were having it. We were having a great time with that, but uh, in addition. The other thing that happened is I started taking Spanish. Brother Justin had been a Spanish teacher, and I was I was having a really hard time. So he started tutoring me in Spanish. He invited me to the almost home for dinner a number of times more, and and sometime you know there was that magical evening in the spring when when we were leaving uh, Dr. Omo's home and he stopped by the side of the creek. We got out he, uh, at, Je- at Brother Justin's suggestion to look at the stars and he ended up kissing me. And I was, <laughs> I was really surprised. Surprised? <laughs> I was very surprised. And, and he kissed me, and he told me that he, that he was in love with me. And I was surprised by mm. both of those, uh, the, both of those things. And but it only took me, you know, how your memory can kind of go quickly, but in slow motion at the same time. Right, right. I I, I started recalling in my mind all of those, um, all of the times that we had spent together up to, until then. And realizing how much I enjoyed being with him, how comfortable I was, and how I had different ways that had grown to admire him. And so mm-hmm. I had to admit to myself and then admit it to him that I was in love with him as well. But uh, we didn't think any, you know, there wasn't any like, oh, yeah, well, so now we now we're going to do something about it. It was really just a statement of fact. And, and here we right. are, and we're not going to do anything with this. Uh, but what, what ensued was about uh, four more years. So we knew each other for five years uh, while he was a Christian brother. Um, what ensued was four years of, of struggle. You know, we, we wouldn't, he would come to the university oh, yeah. and to see Dr. Omo to ask him some questions. Uh, he was managing Christian Brothers Vineyards and and doing other things for the brothers at that time. And and he would come and we would see each other and we would have a wonderful time. And and then there were times we would look at each other and wait, we can't keep doing this. We can't, you know, we can't. This is this is crazy because we're we we get we're so thrilled by seeing each other and yet we're not supposed to be thrilled by seeing each other, 
and we're kissing. I'm, I think it's okay to kiss a brother. I don't know, but I think it's all right. Uh-huh. And, and, Look that one up, huh? Uh, and, you know, there's no rule books, actually. And, and But we also, um, every now and then, we would say, okay, we're just not going to see each other again. That's it. This is just too crazy. And and yeah. in the meantime, I I kept dating other young men at school, and um, really did my best to fall in love with somebody else, and and find somebody who would measure up to this man. Who again, <laughs> over time, I just kept admiring more and more. <sighs> then wow. one day, about <laughs> about the time that I. Uh, was finishing up my graduate studies. Uh, he showed up, and he, uh, as a surprise, actually we were. I was at the almost house doing doing a project, borrowing tool, tools, and he showed up um, to talk to them and and then asked to speak to me and asked me. And this was right after one of those times where I said, "Look, I'm absolutely done. I'm." going to be finishing school i'm done this is it and he he showed up and and said i've decided to leave the monastery i decided to leave the brothers will you marry me and uh, there was there was there was no hesitation um you know as the yeah absolutely yes so that's that's how how it started (laughs) that's how it started wow yeah, because I mean, you talk about uh, challenging circumstances and you know, and expectations. You know, that would uh, you know, that kind of shifts everything. So now, after he he left the brotherhood, um, how, how long or how did the establishment of Silver Oak Cellars come about? Well, that's an interesting story too. But let me let me say something about this, Robert. I think. In retrospect, you know, Justin and I had what m- many people, not just us, but many people, uh, called an extraordinary relationship. Mm-hmm. And and I, I, in retrospect, I believe that one of the the foundation for that important foundation for that extraordinary relationship was because we did not. Um, have any attachment to our relationship uh, you know that yeah. we, in those first five years we worked really hard to absolutely just be with each other and love with each and love each other wholeheartedly without having to define it without trying to create romance and without being attached to um each other or the nature of our relationship, and I think that was pivotal. So yeah, you know, it, it sounds like yeah, that. I mean, it sounds like there was just a, a, a long um, uh, establishment of the foundation before anything yep. really kind of went further. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. A, it's a kind of a spiritual non attachment is an important spiritual principle. I learned that later. Um, but, but, <laughs> yeah. I, but I understand, yeah, I understand it, and that was certainly um, at play. So what happened yeah, next? Yeah. What, 
what happened next was um, Justin left the Christian brothers. He needed permission from the head of his order and from the Pope. He he left. They gave him a little bit of money and a and a car to use, and he rented a little place. And somewhere in the first oh maybe three months or four months after that, he was approached by a, a Colorado. Uh, oil man uh, Ray Duncan and asked uh, Ray wanted had been uh, had bought some property and he wanted somebody to plant that uh, what was pasture for mm-hmm. uh, a, dar- a dairy wanted to plant vineyard and and <clears throat> Dustin's response was um, no I'm actually not in not interested. I'm doing some consulting. I'm having a good time doing that. And besides, what I really want to do is start a winery. And mm. this guy was pre- pretty desperate at the time. Um, <clears throat> his potential lenders were saying, you either find an expert to plant, plant this or, or we're walking away. And he, and he says, well, so to this former Christian Brothers monk, he said, so do you know how to make wine? <laughs> and Justin kind of laughed. He says, "Yes, I do." Um, and and so they made a deal that uh, that evening that they that Justin would plant the vineyard and that they would start a winery together, a fifty-fifty partnership. And that was um, that was in July, June or July. And we got we're married in September. We ended up crushing the first grapes that the week we were married and and so silver oak started as soon as our our more formal uh married relationship started so it was all that serious yeah (laughs) well well you know and it sounds like it was just everything was kind of fortuitous everything kind of just um came together and i'm sure there were Right. So there were challenges, but I mean, it just seemed like, you know, that it kind of was laid out. You know, I mean, the idea of him knowing how to make wine and that that uh, the availability of the the land and all that um, that thing. So, well, now in your book, you 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 talk about good times and and some challenging times. And I want to first start with um, let's start with the, the fun and the, the humor because. Um, you know, that's uh, obviously been a very was a very important part of the relationship. And in, in your in your book, you talk about a time when you and Justin went to Hawaii and, and stayed at uh, John McVie from Fleetwood Mac's home. Um, so, tell us about that. Um, obviously, you had that little musical connection with the guitar and the group and that kind of thing. So, how did all of that come about, and and what happened in that adventure? <laughs> well, that wasn't you know. Uh, our lives were filled with many surprises and fortuitous moments. Uh, we we had a uh, we had a guy who worked who worked for us in the vineyard um, building. Actually, he was kind of a builder, basic builder, and he was had came to the U.S. as a surfer from New Zealand. And he announced one fall that he was going to go 
He he was going to go surfing for the winter, but he never came back. He went to Hawaii uh, to go surfing and didn't come back. And along the way, he he uh, ended up as the caretaker of John McVie's home in Maui. So he in, he invited us to come and stay there with him. <laughs> so Justin and I, we get on the plane. We we go to Maui. Wayne was going to pick us up, but he didn't. And uh, <laughs> and he, he forgot. And this was before no. the days of cell phones. And and we didn't have an address. And uh, we just had a PO box. So so we uh, found a restaurant that he had been working in, and we. Um, Eventually, we went to the restaurant. We kind of got a beat on him. We met, found his sister there. She had a key. So here we were. We decided just move into John McVeigh's house and wait for Wayne to show up. But what we found out is that Wayne had had left at the last minute to go to the Grammys. And that was the day, um, that was the event where John McVeigh won the album of the year for Rumors. And so Wayne was having a wonderful time while we were actually partying in John McVeigh's home. Um, a couple wow. days later, he, Wayne shows up with John McVeigh, and we go, oh, goodness, we're gonna, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's pack our suitcases and kind of move on out. And John McVeigh just says, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. Stay. You know, you're, you're fine. We were staying at one far end of the house, and John McVeigh's his his room, bedroom was on the other side, and in between there were these. You know, there was a pool table and a dining room, and a you know it was wonderful rambling home. So we did. We stayed there with a week for a week with John McVeigh. Other members of the band showed up because they were all celebrating this great accomplishment of theirs, uh, and so. Um, that's yeah, that's how it happened, and and late, you know, for years, uh, Wayne ended up becoming their uh, their bodyguard, and traveled with the band for a, a long time. After that, wow, that, that was an adventure. <laughs> it's just <laughs> and the idea of, of it happening that that year that rumors gets the uh, you know the best album. I mean that's I mean that's classic timing, classic timing. So, yeah, it was. Now, it was. Now, also in the book, you you focus on challenging times. Um, you know, and, and as a matter of fact, um, a, a couple times, you know, there are passages in the books where you weren't sure if, uh, you know, you wanted to stick around, and and um, that the grief was really um, intense. So can you tell us a, um, a, a bit about that period and, and kind of where you were, what, what kind of led to that particular time? Mm-hmm. Yes. So Justin, we, um, after almost 30 years of marriage, Justin, and it was, it was really, it, oh, my gosh, it was fun. And and speaking of humor, he um, 
he's a man that I would describe as not only having really strong values and integrity, but he also had a crazy sense of, sense of humor and what I would describe as a lightness of being. So it was really easy to be with. And and uh, our uh, because there was no need for you, you know how how with some people you have to kind of be on your guard, but for, right right with 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 him it was it was complete it, it was complete openness and, and surrender and beauty, mm-hmm. and after about thirty years of marriage, all of a sudden he. He um, he died. He he died suddenly of a of a heart attack, and uh, and I was um, I was devastated. Yeah. I was I was devastated, and not again in retrospect, I realized that I had made him my reason for living. You know, mm. just being with yeah. just being with him and and doing things with him and for him and loving him become be you know had really become um a, a reason for for living and so I did go through a very difficult time uh in my in my grief where I just wanted to be with him I'd go to bed and just imagine myself you know ascending uh, to where he was, um, because that's where I wanted to be. Yeah. And, Boy. and and yeah, I had yeah. what 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 helped is I had a had a good friend who I'd actually been to high school with, so we were still best friends. And she said, "Call me anytime," and I did at two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. I I would call her up and. And just to have somebody, she was she was really my lifeline, and that that really helped me me through this. And and um, so important for us to have friends like that. And and um, so that was a really really tough time. Yeah. Now was she the friend, the the Jewish friend that you spoke with? Um, in the section about honoring his memory, um, no. In, oh, that was a different one. Oh, yeah, because that, that, well, that, that's that a different section, friend. Oh, okay. Because mm-hmm. well, when I read, I would, would like for you to kind of share, um, you know, the story about um, her, the, the Jewish friend, and and um, you know that conversation and what you took from it, because um, it's I really liked the tradition the Jewish tradition that you kind of honed in on that I hadn't really heard before, but it's, I think people who have lost someone recently might find it beneficial to know about. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, now this, this was, yeah, this was, was the this one was about, for, um, yeah, this is yeah. for his memorial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, well, mm-hmm. and and involved and involved his memorial. So right after Justin had died, I contacted a a Jewish friend, just knowing that somehow the Jewish tradition was richer than mine. Um, I 
grew up Catholic, you know, you kind of just go and you go to a funeral mass and you're done. And it's like, that that wasn't enough for me. So I, I contacted her and I, I, so I said, Gwyneth, can you, can you help me here? What, you know, what, what happens in a Jewish home when someone dies? And there are many things that, that she shared. But the, the one that really resonated with me is she described how uh, when a father dies, the sons are expected to take on and embody the best character traits of their father. And in this way, the, that person or their qualities are not lost. And this, this really struck a deep chord in me. And I thought, well, I can do this. You know, he certainly wasn't my father. I'm not a son, you know. But this right. just made a lot of sense. And, and so I started thinking about what Justin's best qualities were and what I, how I wanted to go forth. And that really, again, also helped in my grieving process and so this is actually something I shared with everyone at the, the memorial a couple of days later. And I, I stood up and I said, um, invited us all to, to go forth and honor Justin's memory by being more genuine and generous, living boldly with personal integrity, unpretentious self-confidence, and joyful humor. And that mission for myself it's not that I didn't have some of these qualities but I I really amplified them um, in my life and that has been a very meaningful uh, thing for me to choose to do but also has led to amazing (laughs) amazing adventures and and, uh, uh, paths in, in my life since then yeah, well, you know, it's it's just a wonderful way of memorializing someone and kind of giving um, uh, strength and support for what it is they left people mm-hmm. with, you know, in the positive. Mm-hmm. Sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, gosh, we're we're about halfway through the show already, Bonnie. So I want to take just a quick break. And I do want to let listeners know, if you would like to call in and ask Bonnie any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. And and then when we come back, Bonnie, um, um, in addition to the death of Justin, you also had some health challenges. And so to add to to that picture, so I want to kind of talk a little bit about that. You got through that, okay? All right. Yep. Okay. Okay. Can everyone stay tuned? We'll be right back after this brief break. Uh, Well, Bonnie, I don't think my. We're just going to continue on, <laughs> and we'll just, okay. uh, just dig right up. So let's talk about the, the health challenges. Um, that 
was with cancer. Um, so would you mind kind of sharing a little bit about this? And, you know, one of the things I was is that um, I just think that it's um, very um, courageous, you know, to, to do their memoir and to put it out there with, with all and um but I'm sure the the intent is just to, to help people who are experiencing the same thing, isn't it? That's ex- that's exactly right. Um the reason that I wrote this m- memoir is I had many people had said they wanted to hear <laughs> they wanted to hear that the story about how I married a monk. Uh but uh my reason for doing it finally was to actually create a kind of a treasure map, you know, that as you read the story, uh, many people will say, wow, I really learned something about my relationship. It made me think about my relationship. It made me think about my life. It made me think about how I can uh, make my life and my relationship better in, in different ways. It's an invitation. So, if I'm going to invite people to be more uh, vulnerable and authentic, then I needed to be that way. So yes, it's a yeah. very intimate. It's a very intimate book, um, but uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, that you wanted to know about about yeah, my health challenges. Just, yeah, and, and I. Yeah. I, I we guess that the friends were also the key with that challenge as well. Yes. So a few months, I think it was maybe five months uh, before Justin's sudden death, I was in the hospital. I had been diagnosed with uh, cancer, and I was in the hospital for uh, a surgery that ended up being re- really rough. And um, it was a, abdominal. It was an, an abdominal cancer, uh, an endometrial can- type cancer, and they did a lot of a lot of work. I was in really bad shape when the surgery was over, and in fact, I almost uh, died one night. And the the staff used some kind of heroic method methods and kind of got me going my heart going again and and so it was the recovery took took quite a while and so I was still in you know kind of sketchy shape when all of a sudden you know the love of my life dies and so uh, one of the choices that I made soon after that was I three weeks after Justin died I had an appointment with a radiologist to do follow-up treatment, and I asked my daughter to go with me. And I listened to what the radiologist had to say. I asked, well, what is the chances that this is going to be helpful? What are the chances this is going to be harmful? And I looked at him and I said, you know, I've been through enough lately. I'm going to just say no. I'm not going to do this. And I, I know it really made my daughter frightened. They had, you know, my kids had just lost mm-hmm. their father. They didn't want to lose their, lose their mother. Um, but I just knew that I just, I just 
couldn't really tolerate the the damage that it was gonna was gonna do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it. Um, so yes, when I was gr- in grief, <laughs> the whole time I was grieving, I was also uh, my my body and spirit were recovering from this this uh, surgery. And but you know, um, having a cancer diagnosis, it's really different than you know learning that you have a strep throat. <laughs> you know, you right. can't, you, yeah. you, you you can't take a little bit of medicine and know it's over. And so, in a lot of ways, cancer is a is a lifelong diagnosis, and in particular, the, this type of individual cancer has a tendency to come back. And it has. I had another bout of it a few years ago. But at this point, I look at cancer as a as a teacher, and and uh, it has it, by embracing my cancer experiences as as a teacher has been really helpful to me. And in fact, in fact, I've generalized that to all of my experience in 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 life, especially the harder <laughs> ones. Uh, by embracing them as, you know, what do I have to learn here? What is what is this teaching me? Uh, that's yeah. really been helpful and and helped with my resilience. Thank yeah, well. I think those those challenging times really uh, help define us. You know, I mean, as far as uh, testing our beliefs, our you know resilience and. Uh, and then, you know, shift in major in perspective. Quite often, you know, I've, I've talked with many an author who have um, had cancer and talk about their experiences being kind of, you know, pre-cancer and, and post-cancer. You know, as far as um, how they view life, uh, the priority shifting, um, just just basically a reassessment of life. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Exactly. So, so now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now, um, with, with, when it came time to um, the, uh, the after the death of of Justin, there were things that started happening to you with some signs and synchronicities, kind of. Uh, and my my audience loves hearing about those. <laughs> so would you mind kind of sharing uh, your? And, and, and first of all, would, were you um, was this something that you um, expected? Were open to? Didn't didn't expect um, to happen? <laughs> so, um, for one thing, you know, Justin's death was a sudden heart attack. So, mm-hmm. so we hadn't been talking about you know, his death. It's not that he had been ill and we had had time to just talk about Plan. what might happen yeah. or what death was like or any any of that. Uh, but I had, um, you know, I had I had read a few, a, a few things about near-death experiences. So I, I mm-hmm. had a picture, a picture of what it might be like people when they were dying and in fact when um, while when Justin was dying and we were 
we were giving him artificial respiration and hoping to get his heart started again, I, um, there was a moment when I realized that his spirit left and I could, I could feel it. And I could also feel him kind of hovering above us and, and mm. watching the situation. And I felt um, this within me, but also a need for this a deep reverence and for the drama to stop and for us to just be quiet. And, and um, so then, you know, a couple of days after, let's see, was it? It was yeah. The day it was the day after his his death. I was with my daughter. I was back. I was at home. She had flown back from from Boston, where she had been visiting friends. I was sitting. I was sitting on our bed. And she was lying in the bed. This was right before going to sleep. She was lying in the bed, lying in the space where he usually would sleep. And which was just, you know, a sweet, poignant scene in and of itself. And we were quietly talking, and a pebble comes flying across the room and lands at my feet. And Holly Holly and I looked at each other, we looked down at the pebble. <laughs> pebble. We we looked at each other. We looked down at the pebble again, and we looked at each other a third time. And she said, "says very quietly, hi, daddy." <laughs> and you know, it makes me cry just every time yeah. I say that. And um, you know, she somehow intuitively knew that there was no huh? way. You know, this had to be her dad. This, there's no way a pebble just comes flying across the room, and wow. and we we knew it was him, and we knew it was his way of saying hi. I'm here with you, hmm. which which gave us you know um, a, a beautiful sense of connection. We were still in grief. It doesn't mean that you're not grieving, right. you know, but you're not really sad. Right, but. but but um, it was wonderful, and and if that's all that ever happened, that would have been amazing. I mean, you know, when yeah. you think about it, that that's amazing. But then, it, it then the next day, um, all of a sudden there there was a the bath in. In our in that home, uh, the bathroom was kind of on the other side of the bedroom. It was kind of open, and and there was a uh, next to the sink there was a hair dryer that was mounted on the side of the wall, and one of those kind that you have in hotels, you take the take the nozzle off and you it starts and you dry your hair and then you put the nozzle back on uh, uh-huh. with a magnet and it and it stops. So if you can imagine that they they were in hotels maybe twenty years ago or or more, right? They, mm-hmm. You know, was yeah. kind of more typical then, and and all of a sudden this hair dryer starts going off, and so I walk around to see what the story is, and it was just going. So I so I take it off the nozzle off, and it's still going, and I put the nozzle back on, and it's still going, and I 
do that two or three <laughs> times, and I just shrug my whole shoulders and I go, well, I guess it's broken, and then it stops. Hmm. And and I thought, well, that's curious. Well, <laughs> that was the word I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and and thereafter, every time I felt really bereft, the hair dryer would go like crazy. And as soon as wow. and as soon as I would calm down and acknowledge that this was Justin saying hello, it would calm down and stop. Hmm. And and that was I, it was really a friend of mine who my friend Mary Kay who was the one I called in the middle of the night. It was really Mary Kay who was there at the time who noticed this this pattern uh, that it would okay. it would yeah um, and and so and that so that's how it was for four months and months and months and. Um, so that's how Justin, that was the first way in which Justin showed up, is the pebble and then the hair dryer. And what a crack up, because he hated that hair dryer. He would hit the thing, he would <laughs> hit the thing with, with his elbow, and he would knock the nozzle off, and, and he had a crew cut. He didn't need it, <laughs> and he, he hated that it was there. It was, you know, and... And so it was typical of his sense of humor to use something he hated uh, to to uh, make him his presence known. Well, you know, it, it, it seems when those kinds of things happen that it is usually uh, something that will really will grab so much attention and be so specific that it's you you, you don't really question. You know, kind of where you can't pass it off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. This is typical, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't say, "Oh, that happens all the time." So now, and he also <laughs> came to in his dream. In your dream, as well, correct? So, so then he, yeah. So then he started showing up in lucid dreams, which I found really comforting, um, but also devastating. As soon as I'd wake up, you know, he'd be gone again, mm-hmm. and I. And so it was wonderful to be with him in, in my dreams. And and then soon after that, another synchronistic event happened, and a friend gave me a book by Robert Monroe, which I read. And then I found two other books by Monroe. And I was talking about what I learned to know is commonly called astral travel. Or journey, journey. One of his books was called Journeys Out of the Body, and and um, he would visit with people, and some who were actually living, and he would also visit people who had uh, in the other realms who had died. And so I thought, wow, this would be a way to intentionally have these lucid dreams and these connections. So I took uh, I took a course, my the initial course. I was in day four, and Justin appeared to me right in front of me. It's like he was, you know, six inches from my face. His face was six inches from my face. And I was just, um, I'm hard, hard to describe. I was just blown away and ecstatic, and we embraced. And when you, when you 
contact people on that level. It's it's as if they they kind of have a have a they don't have a physical body, but it's kind of like they do, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, an embrace feels like an embrace. Yeah. And a kiss a kiss feels like a kiss, even though it's energetic. And of course, if you think really think about kissing someone, of course it's energetic. We just we're <laughs> <laughs> always right. Yeah. And and so um, yeah, so then you know then we considered continued our our relationship journey together, and so. I've I've learned through the all these experiences that our relationships don't end with that. They they yeah. and thank goodness, you know, they continue on. And yeah. they and, and continue to evolve. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, they just change a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, you know, now were you before that were you a lucid dreamer before? I mean, was that something that um, no, it's new. That you, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. So, yeah, now I have had several, I mean, probably eight or nine guests from that have gone to the Monroe Institute and have had um, just profound experiences that the process has really opened them up to that, uh, to uh, the greater consciousness. And, and and then then wrote about it. Um, so now is, is what is it well, that, the that you? Well, the interesting thing about that, Stephen, and mm-hmm. um, I mean Robert. Sorry, um, the That's interesting right. about that, Robert, is is that, or the important thing about that is that once your once your worldview let's call it is expanded right it's expanded it's expanded forever you can't go back can't to undo that. thinking that <laughs> you know yeah you, you just you just yeah. can't can't come back and so in general i would say the monroe institute experiences and meditations are are um wow they're they're amazing gro- growth opportunities but i would also like to say that you don't have to um, there's a book by a woman named Christina Rasmussen um, called Where Did You Go? She, she lost her husband um, to, to illness, and she struggled with him not being present in her life and really found a way to connect to him but also has created an even easier path. You don't. In other words, I just want to let your listeners know that we don't we don't all have to go to the Monroe Institute or use that method. Right. There are there are other you know just other meditation um, paths that that we can use to connect with our with our loved ones and and to not not be, you know think oh well the lights are dimming because there's something wrong with the lights or there's you know these you know, I keep saying butterflies, but it must be butterfly season. Do not to not discount these things that are happening, um, because so many people, um, uh, you know, it's it's you really to your benefit to say, oh, thank you for showing up. You know how beautiful that you're sending these signs 
signs for me and be comforted by them. Yeah, you know, yeah, and it's just real important to be open to that possibility. Yeah, you know, and and um, and if you do, and you know, and the thing is, is uh, especially if what happens is just so out of the ordinary, either you know, just in circumstances, or you know, so very much like someone who had passed, you know, to kind of send that message that it's it's Mm -hmm. um. You know, mm-hmm. it's just the awareness of that realm being, mm-hmm. you know, able to, you know, interact with ours um, mm-hmm. is, is just a reminder that, again, like you said, they're, they're not gone. They're just in a different spot. Um, mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. wow, gosh, well. Bonnie, we are just about out of time. I mean, the hour has gone <laughs> by. So, what what is it that that you hope that the readers are going to take away from reading uh, Perfectly Paired? Uh, well, again, it it is like a little treasure map. It's a it's a love story, and it's just it's fulfilling just to read it as a love story. But what I what I hope the readers will take away is it really is a path uh, to, you know, a more expanded worldview uh, through things that we were just talking about, uh, a, an invitation to know that when your loved ones die, they're not really gone forever, um, to know, understand that the grief is a journey Many people are going through grief right now in relationship to COVID, whether they've lost, actually lost someone or whether they've lost a job or lost a relationship or, or something. That's, we, we are experiencing grief like never before. And to know that it's a journey and it's a journey that, that, can, uh, that has gifts in there yeah. will we really give ourselves over to it there are there are gifts at the bottom of that deep well and that everyone we all deserve a a, a great fulfilling relationship and and you too can have that yeah and you know and after 30 years you know of you know kind of devoting yourself to um you know, Justin and the work, um, now this time that you have afterwards is focusing on Bonnie and, and all the good work that you're doing as well. Um, now, we didn't even be able to get into the regenerative <laughs> um, kind of uh, farming and investing, but, uh, but that's mm-hmm. a whole new area. But, but people can find out about that at, at your website, couldn't they? They can find out actually about that by my at my business website, which is called Meyer Family Enterprises, and that that website is mfenterprises.com. M as in Meyer, wow. S as in uh, family, and there are articles and things about regenerative investing and farming. Wow! Oh, great. Well, thank you for your time today, Bonnie. I, I really enjoyed thinking with you. Oh, and by the way, you know, I looked at those the pictures of, of Justin, and he looks like a monk. <laughs> you know, <with> that beard <laughs> yes, and that sturdy build. I mean, I could easily uh-huh. see him in his, his robe. You can imagine him in the cellar with a yeah, <laughs> with a barrel and a glass of wine too. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. It, it, 
you know, and, and the pictures you used with him and the kids were really great because you really get a sense of, of who he was when, when he's with the kids. So it was a really yeah. good choice. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Well, thank you again for your time. Um, I enjoy speaking with you. Thank you, Robert. Great to be here with you and with all of your listeners today. Thank you very much. Again, everyone, my special guest today has been Bonnie Mayer. She's author of Perfectly Paired, The Love Affair Behind Silver Oaks Cellars. Again, you can find out more about Bonnie by visiting her website, which is www.bonniemayer.com. And as far as the regenerative investing and farming, go to www.msenterprises.com. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Byte Radio Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.